Okay, so uh, welcome to class number 23, and I uh, am excited about it. We're going to finish up a little bit of material that we didn't get to last week, and then uh, move over into our last uh, part of this section, and so uh, I'm excited about that. Let's see if I can get the camera to swap over. There we go. And I will say this, uh, I received more feedback from last week's class than perhaps all the others combined. So that tells me uh, a few things. First of all, that people are actually listening and paying attention, so that's cool, amen. But also that the, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit help some folks uh, understand some things about thoughts and emotions and how those two powerful aspects of our creation come together and work together either for our benefit or for our uh, <laughs> misery, praise God. And um, amen. So let's pray. We'll talk a little bit about that as we kind of get into what we're going to be looking uh, at this evening. Father, thank you for your great love for us. And it's because of your great love for us, Father, that we're here. Uh, Lord, you created us uh, because you wanted to have an object for your affection. And Lord, I thank you that we are both objects of your love and we are instruments, Lord, of your love to extend your love and show your love and share your love with other people. Thank you, Lord, tonight for what you're doing in our lives, but also thank you for what you are doing and will continue to do through our lives, Lord, as you use us to make a difference for other uh, and in other people's lives. Uh, life realities. Father, we bless you tonight. We, we honor you. We humble ourselves before you. We ask, Lord, that, that you help us receive your word with meekness tonight and it being grafted into us. Father, uh, thank you for the human brain and its capacity to learn and understand and retain knowledge. But Lord, uh, it pales in comparison to the, to the heart, the inner, the inner man, uh, the inner person, the inner woman, Lord, to hear and receive and retain, Lord, your truth and understanding and wisdom for our lives. So help us tonight, Father as we come to be equipped to be more effective in the life that you've created us to live and the purpose that you have created us to fulfill. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So uh, once again, uh, the uh, title slide for tonight, What is Man? And we are looking at part uh, number four of this section. I'll put the title slide back up one more time. And again, this is class 23 of 36. Praise God. And so let's just real quickly review what we've already covered. We've said that man is a God class being. We've said that man is a spirit being. That man is legal authority on earth. And now number four, man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. A being created in the image and likeness of God. And what we've learned about these terms, image and likeness, is that God created us to look the way He looks, but also to function the way He functions. And so we possess certain abilities, certain characteristics, certain attributes that, uh, that only God possesses. We can do things because we were created in God's image and likeness that no other created or living thing can do, or at least to the extent and to the level uh, with which we can do it. Now, the, the bulk of our time together tonight, we're going to talk about uh, our ability to speak and the power of words. And I'm very excited about that for a lot of reasons, and, and perhaps the main one is to understand what the Bible has to say about this and, and then begin to apply it to uh, the meditations of our heart and the words of our mouth is, is an area where we can see a lot of 
change in a very quick or brief period of time. So uh, that's how powerful uh, our words are and, and how much influence they have over our life reality. And so I tell you a lot of times that, that you know, people are trying to solve advanced life problems without basic life understanding. And so a lot of the things that we talk about in discipleship class deal with this uh, basic life understanding, how God created us to function, the way things were designed to work and function so that we can come into alignment with that, so we can, we can come into agreement with it. Because as we've said many times before, these different characteristics have the power to either be your best friend or your worst enemy. So let's look at the list uh, real quick. Like we said, because we were created in the image and likeness of God, we have the ability to think, reason, and form opinions. On the surface, that's like, okay, you know, big deal, whoop de doo But no, life is choice-driven, right? And how a man or woman thinks uh, it, it determines how their, you know, life reality uh, actually is. So these things are uh, extremely important. We have the ability to agree, and Satan is always trying to get us to agree with things that um, are not from God, ideas and thoughts and approaches and philosophies that do not uh, anchor themselves in the truth. So we've got to be careful with who we agree with and what we agree with. And then we looked at our, our ability to believe and how that translates into either faith or fear. And we said that your ability uh, to believe is at the root of all fear because fear is your ability to believe working against you. Remember we said that <laughs> uh, you're afraid of something because you believe it has the power to hurt you. And it doesn't matter if it can't hurt you. If you believe it can, you'll respond. And, and the emotions that you experience from that will be very real, even though the threat is non-existent. And then the fourth thing that we have spent some time on now is we have the ability to experience and express emotions. The fifth one we'll get into tonight is our ability to speak. So we said last week that, that God has the full spectrum of emotions that we now have the capacity to experience and express. We have the ability to get angry because the God who created us to look like He looks and to function the way He functions has the ability to get angry. The same is true with peace. The same is true with, with joy. And, and you know all, all of these, again, the whole spectrum of human emotions. Now, I don't think we've talked about this yet, but one of the first things that we see when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, because remember God said, in the day that you sin, you'll surely die. And of course, they sinned and they were still breathing, but something happened in them internally. And we'll get to that in the, in the next section. But they, they died spiritually. They died inwardly. And we see that one of the first things they experienced was the emotion or, or the feelings of fear. They hid from God what a lot of people miss in, in reading that account in, in the book of Genesis is that they didn't just hide from God, they hid from one another. They hid from God and they hid from one another. So notice, notice the, the first <laughs> practical effects of sin on uh, Adam's life. He's hiding from the God who created him and loves him and wants to help him and he created and he's hiding himself from the woman that God created uh, and, and gave to him as a helper, right? So the, the two sources of help that he has, he's running from and hiding from. This is the fallout and the negative uh, effects of sin in, in our lives even to this day. Sin has a tendency to push us away from God. Even though he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us, this is why we see the instructions in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we do sin, that we need to confess it, 
because God is what faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we see in the Garden of Eden mankind's first experience with dominant negative emotions. Dominant negative emotions. And, and ever since that day, Satan has tried to, uh, to ruin and make our lives miserable through dominant negative emotions. But what we see in Scripture is that we are not the victim of our emotions. We are not at uh, the, the beckoning call or whim of our emotions, but that emotions are actually produced by our thoughts and, and by our thinking. And we can, with God's help, with His Word, with the help of His Holy Word and the help of His Holy Spirit, uh, we can uh, actually you know, become more disciplined and more selective in our thoughts, which will translate into our lives being uh, overwhelmed with positive, uh, godly emotions instead of dominant negative ones. So some of the things that we finished with last week was John chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. When he said let not, that word let uh, literally translated means allow, allow not. So Jesus is telling us to not allow our heart to be troubled. Do not allow your heart to be troubled. And he would never tell us to uh, not allow it to be, to, to be troubled if it were impossible for us to do. See, we think that, you know, if our heart's troubled, we just have to ride it out, you know, and there's nothing we can do to change it, and there's nothing we can do about it, and you never know when this is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, certainly, you know, we tried to cover effectively, and some of the feedback that I got from, from other folks, you know, was, was where do demonic spirits come to play in all of this? And we know that that when it comes to depression, that, that depression, according to the Word of God, has a cause. Anxiety, Proverbs 12 and 25. Anxiety in the heart causes depression. But the Bible also speaks of a spirit of heaviness. A spirit of heaviness. And a spirit of heaviness uh, is, again, a demonic spirit, a, a demonic presence that can you know, literally try to come upon you and, and oppress you. Not necessarily possess you, but, but think of oppress and, and pressure on you and, and try to apply pressure to you. And so we have biblical instructions for this as well, right? That we put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So when that spirit of heaviness comes upon us, we can't just, you know, go to bed for three days. Uh, you know, we, we've got to, to come, come combat against it. We've got to come against it. We've got to rise up against it, right? With the word of God, with faith. You know, put the, put the praise music on, get your hands up in the air, and start getting loud with it. And because what happens to to the devil when we submit ourselves to God and resist him, he flees. Right? He flees. We have authority over him in Jesus' name. But we also must remember that we have a responsibility to put on the whole armor of God, to fight the good fight of faith. That Satan is is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can't just come in and devour anybody he wants to devour. He has to find people who will give him place. He has to find people who will listen to him. He has to find people who refuse to resist him. Well, that's not us, amen? So that means we are may not, says Brother Keith Moore says, amen? He's seeking whom he may devour, but he may not devour me, amen? He may not devour you because we have been equipped with the Word of God, with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the shield of faith, all of that stuff, to stand against the devil, amen? So dominant negative emotions are the result of wrong and negative thinking. And we said that if you refuse to manage your thinking, you will never manage your emotions. Now, along these lines, and we'll come back to this verse when we talk about renewing the mind, 
But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Did we get this far last week? Did we look at this verse last week? Uh, yes, we did. Okay, thank you for that. One of the last things we said. All right, so amen. I want to make sure you're aware of this verse because he says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, uh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. And one translation has arguments as imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So there are some good books. Uh, Joyce Meyer's Battlefield of the Mind um, is one that comes uh, to, to mind uh, immediately that deal extensively with, with this uh, subject. But what we have to realize is that Satan is trying to control our thoughts and our thinking. That's, that's how powerful our thoughts and thinking are. Remember, life is choice-driven, therefore it must be spirit-led, but it's thoughts that produce emotions, and it's emotions that influence our choices. Your soul is the part of you that thinks, the part of you that feels, and the part of you that chooses. That's your soul. And so how we think produces how we feel, which influences the choices that we make. So... You know, back in the 80s, the, the, the government's answer to drug addiction was just say no, which on the surface is, is a fine answer, okay? Um, but it's, it's easier said than done when all kinds of emotions and neurochemicals and so forth and so on is involved in that. You don't have to even act like you know what I'm talking about. Just keep looking straight ahead, okay? So he's saying that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Carnal means fleshly or physical. They're not physical. You, you, you can't win this with a pistol or a knife. or, or That's not what he's talking about here. But, they, but we do have weapons, and they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And so notice now he says we have to cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So I know this is poetic, and, and it sounds good, but what in the world is he saying here? When he's talking about a thought or an imagination that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God... If something is trying to exalt itself against another thing, it's trying to assume a higher place of, of influence, a higher position of, of authority. Uh, in other words, override or overrule. So when God says in his word that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, a classic example, okay? That's the knowledge of God. Now, Satan doesn't want you to think like a righteous man or woman. He doesn't want you to believe that you're right with God in the eyes of God because of a gift that you've been given and because of something Jesus made you. And so, so what does the devil try to do? He tries to take thoughts that, that contradict that uh, and, 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 and sow those thoughts, plant those thoughts in your mind in hopes that you will allow the thought that says you're not righteous, that you're not free, that you're not blessed, that you're not healed, that you're not whole, that you'll allow those kinds of thoughts to exalt themselves against. In other words, assume a higher place of influence in your mind and thinking and life reality than the knowledge of God. So what is he saying we have to do? We have to bring every thought into, the captivity, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let's go back to it, okay? I know you probably, no you don't. You love to hear me say it. All right, the best advice I could ever give anybody. Anybody remember what that is? Agree with God and agree with him quickly. So when the devil says you're not and God says you are, you agree with God. Even if it looks, seems, and feels like you're not. 
Because walking by faith as opposed to walking by sight, which one are we supposed to walk by? Faith or sight? We walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. So what does it mean, again, on a practical level to walk by sight? People who walk by sight are people who live their lives based upon the way things look, seem, and feel. The way things look, seem, and feel. You say, well, it doesn't look like I'm righteous. It doesn't seem like I'm righteous. I mean, I had a, a bad thought. I said a bad word. I did a bad thing. I committed a sin. So I must not be righteous. It don't seem like I am. It doesn't look like I am. I certainly don't feel righteous right now. See, all of these are, are things that the enemy uses to reinforce the, the false validity, if that's even a word. It's trying to make it sound valid, making it, trying to make it sound true when it's not, okay, um, in, in your life. And so we have the responsibility of taking those thoughts captive because it's more than just a cute thing to say. If we do not take the thought captive, Satan will use the thought to take us captive. It, it, it really is that cut and dried. Uh, Bill Johnson said that it says it this way, I cannot afford to have a thought in my head that did not originate in the heart of God. If it, if it doesn't come from God, we, we, we've got to cast it down. Now, let's go back. I've said this before. I'll say it again because I know some of you are new to the class. When Adam and Eve sinned and they hid themselves from one another and they hid themselves from God, God comes into the Garden of Eden and he's asking questions, not because God doesn't know the answers, but he's asking the questions, you know, like, you know, Adam, where are you? God knew where he was. Um, and, and then uh, he, he says, you know, I, I hid myself because I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? All right. Anybody remember this from? Okay. So do not overlook the significance of, of what's happened right there. Because for the first time in human history, Adam has a thought about himself that did not originate with God. When God says, who told you you were naked? Because God didn't tell him that. Are you seeing this? He had come to that conclusion based upon outside influences, about, based upon his you know, actions that he had committed and so this is, when I say significant, because, <laughs> amen, this is the, the root of so many of our problems, is thoughts in our head that did not originate in God's heart. Things that we think about ourselves, things that we think about life, things that we think about, you know, the way life works and the way it was meant to be lived that do not line up with the truth, that do not agree with what God has prepared for us, Okay. So we asked the question, who chooses your thoughts last week? Let's go to Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. And we have instructions here that we see in other places in the New Testament. We won't go to those uh, different places now, but just to introduce this uh, to you. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So it's, it's excellent instructions, and we could talk for 20, 30 minutes about what that actually looks like and what it means. I think it's fairly self-explanatory. The main purpose I'm, I'm wanting to present this verse to you or, or put this verse in front of you tonight is for the word set. Because setting your mind is speaking of a deliberate, intentional action. A deliberate, intentional action. Now, the more we set our minds on certain things, the easier it becomes for our minds to go in those directions until, if we're not careful, certain things will become automatic thoughts. And let me tell you what automatic thoughts produce in our lives. Anybody want to guess? <laughs> automatic responses, right? 
So an automatic thought produces an automatic response. This is at the, this is at the anatomy of any kind of enslaved behavior, right, uh, where our, our minds just automatically go to, I, I need this, I need that, what have you. Uh, and so setting your mind on things above is speaking of a deliberate intentional action that um, some in this room may be more skilled at than others, but this, this is speaking of a skill that we can develop and actually get better and better and better at so that in the same way it in the past has been hard for you to not you know, every time somebody offends you, think of everybody that offended you. Or in, in the same way that, you know, if, we, if we're accustomed to setting our mind on, on negative uh, experiences from the past, like we talked about last week, so forth and so on. Well, um, eventually, if you set your mind on the things uh, above, things of God, consistently enough, that will become your go-to. That, that'll become... Uh, you know, just like maybe you used to say words you shouldn't say when um, you hit your finger with a hammer or, or something like that. Well, you'd realize that you can become so full of God's word and his truth and his love for you that those things don't come out of you uh, when you're in those moments and in those situations. Amen? Amen. Okay, praise God. Uh, so let's go now to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And, and again, I would imagine some of you are familiar with this. Uh, but others uh, not so much. And so I want to make sure that, that you're aware of this. And by the way, this, I cover this in, in a little greater detail uh, in my book, Becoming a Threat to Addiction. But Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 uh, through 8. He says, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. <laughs> Would he tell you to do this if it were impossible to do? Come on now, this back to let not your heart be troubled. Don't allow your heart to be troubled, okay? Would he say don't allow your heart to be troubled if there was not a thing in the world you could do about your heart being troubled? Would he say be anxious for nothing if this were an unattainable uh, goal or an unattainable position? No, when he says be anxious for nothing, he's not only giving us a command but he's, fixing, he's about to give us instructions on how to actually uh, work our way to a place in life where we literally are anxious for nothing. All right? Now, I'm going to remind you again. What does anxiety in someone's heart cause? Depression, right? Anxiety in the heart causes depression. So he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want to encourage you to make it a habit to talk to God, make it a, a practice in your life to talk to God about everything. Everything, okay? Do not allow anything in your life that you do not talk to God about. No secrets. Amen? No secrets. He sees everything anyway. He knows every thought anyway. You can't hide it from him. It's not doing you any good to try to hide it from him. Are you hearing me? If you're tempted in some area, don't act like God doesn't know. He knows, right? 
Shine some light on that. Expose the devil who's trying to tempt you and talk to God about it. Find people in your life that, that, that you can trust, people that God's put in your life, and talk to them about it. It's amazing how the devil, like, like cockroaches, run for the corners when, when the lights are turned on. When you put the light, you know, see, the devil doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to mull these things over and deal with them and keep it quiet and keep it secret, act like God doesn't know and us, blah, blah, blah. Again, stop that. We don't do that anymore. That's childish. Amen? Amen? Okay, so here's the thing. If you will develop the practice in your life of talking to God about everything, it will become a very important safety net for you. Because should there ever come a situation in your life after having this consistently talking to God about everything, should there ever come a situation in your life where you don't want to talk to Him about it, it will become this massive red flag, right? Like you, you've been talking to God about everything for three months now. Then all of a sudden, you know, somebody asks you on a date, and you don't want to talk to God about it. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, whoa, hold on a second here. Why don't, I want, why don't I want to talk to him about this, right? Okay. But the other thing about talking to God about it, that's what he's saying here. Be anxious for nothing, everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, opposite of anxiety, peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Okay? The peace of God which surpasses understanding. Could I give you the New Windsor International translation of that phrase? All right. It's peace that don't make sense. It's like when everything around you says there's no way you could be, should be, can have peace. You've got peace, right? And there's no logical explanation for it, but you still have the peace, right? That's, that's peace that surpasses understanding. This, this is when we've tapped into something from another realm, Amen? It's like joy. Peace doesn't come based upon the absence of conflict around you. Peace comes from inside of you, out of you, just like joy comes from inside of you, out of you. And it's not based upon circumstances, but it's based upon your eternal connection with the living God. So the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Remember when we introduced this, uh, this section we said the devil was after two primary things when it came to your emotions. Your joy, which according to Nehemiah 8.10 is your strength. And now, and your peace, which we see in Philippians, is that which guards your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Then he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely... Whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think about, set your mind on these things. Okay? So what did he just do for us? He gave us a filter for our thoughts. True, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praiseworthy. Okay? All right. So what does he say? Let me, give you, let me give you an example here of this, okay? He's saying that if it's not true, it doesn't belong in your mind. Well, it may be true. It doesn't belong in your mind. Right? Are you following what I'm saying? This is how the, this is how the devil... Okay. Let's, let's get something nailed down as well, okay, that's, that's related here. <clears throat> There is a difference between truth and fact, okay? 
You with me? There's a difference between something that is truth, that rises to the level of truth, compared to something that may be a fact, but is not the truth. And so here's a simple example. The, it, the fact is, it's cold today. Okay, that's a fact. But next week, it's going to warm up. It, it won't be cold next week. Are you following me? So one of the things we need to understand about a fact is that a fact is subject to change. Truth, on the other hand, never changes. If it's truth, it'll be truth today, and it'll be truth tomorrow, and it'll be truth ten years from now, and it'll be truth a thousand years from now. Because Jesus is truth. Truth is a person. Are you following me? Okay. So it may be a fact, it may be a fact that your left hip is hurting you tonight. But the truth is, by His stripes you were healed. That's the truth. Facts cannot change the truth, but truth can change the facts. Come on now. Facts are temporal. They're subject to change. Truth is eternal. It changes not. So we need to set our minds on the truth. There are people listening to me right now. You've had things, you've experienced things, things that have happened to you in your life that, that you don't fully understand. You've got a lot of questions. And it's like, well, you know, I believe for this and this happened. I thought this was going to happen. And this person did this. You know, and so how the devil tries to torment us is by, by manipulating our thoughts. And, and again, we have to cooperate with him to do this. But the devil wants to try to drive you crazy by keeping you focused on what you don't know and what you don't understand. What's the answer? To focus on what we do know and what we do understand. And as we focus on what we do know and as we focus and meditate on what we do understand, this invites the Holy Spirit to come alongside us and not only move us forward, but help us see things that we haven't previously been able to see about that situation and others. So you don't even have to go any further down the list if it's not true. If it's not true, then we're going to cast it down. If it's not noble, you say, well, how could something be true but not noble? It, 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 could, it could be, let's, this would like maybe like gossip. I mean, maybe, maybe somebody's telling you something about somebody that, that it really happened. But it's not noble. So we're not going to sit here and dwell on that. We're not going to sit here and think, are you following what I'm saying? He goes on just. Man, you, you can dwell on injustices. There's a lot of injustice in the world. A lot of things that aren't fair. Right? And, and if you allow yourself to dwell on those things and to focus on those things, people who have wronged you, people who have marginalized you, people who have, who have dissed you and, 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 and looked down on you unjustly. See, Satan wants, to, he wants you to wallow in that. Right? But man, things that are true, things that are noble, things that are just, pure, lovely, good reports, virtue, praiseworthy. Th these, these things become the filter through which any thought that we allow into our mind must pass. And if it fails this test, it's out of there. Amen? If it doesn't make the cut, 
Right? I mean, if, 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 it's, if it's not true, the thought doesn't belong in your mind. And so fair, you have an expression like with, in athletics, it didn't make the cut. Right? <laughs> so it didn't make the cut. All right. That is Philippians chapter 4, uh, 6, 7, and 8. Verse 8 is the one that has um, the, uh, the list of things uh, in it. And it is a very interesting study. It's good to look at it even in different uh, translations as, as far as what... Um, what all those different words mean. I, I have this little note here. Uh, it would take an hour or more to really go through the list. I said, I'm not going to try to do that uh, now. Um, you know, it's, it's some good homework, you know, for you to, you know, you think about something that's, that's, uh, that's noble. You know, like an, we talk about a just cause or a noble cause, something that's, that is uh, contributing in some beneficial way to others. You know, anyway, praise God. I don't get started on that because we'll be there, for, like I said, for a long time. Um, all right, so this, this brings us now to uh, this fifth and uh, final attribute, and it is the culmination, if you will, in a lot of ways, of all the others. Now, again, for those of you who are new to this, uh, this class, we said that these um, five uh, characteristics, it's not an exhaustive list, and there are other things. These are the, the key ones, main ones. But we also said that they were both dynamic and interactive, meaning they're underlying causes of change. They're always at work. Some, something that's dynamic is always at work. So the, the, the power of your, uh, you know, it was believing is working for you when you're believing good things and believing is working against you when you're believing bad things. It, it doesn't just work when you're believing right stuff, okay, or thinking right thoughts. Um, if you think right thoughts, you're going to get right emotions. But if you think wrong thoughts, you're going to get wrong emotions. That's what, we mean, that's what we mean by something that's always at work. Therefore, it's an underlying cause of change. So to experience the effect that these things produce in our lives, we have to go beneath the surface and change them at the source. But then we also said that they're interactive. And so do you see how thoughts, agreements, beliefs, and then even emotions culminate in the words that we speak out of our mouths. Let me say it another way. Words are a product of thoughts, beliefs, emotions, agreements, and all the force represented in those culminates in and is released through spoken words. Because of that, the words you speak have the greatest potential to affect your life, either good or bad. Progress in the words that we speak represents great potential for change. Now, given the importance of words, I'm just curious, and it's okay if you haven't. Has, has anybody, have, have anyone in the room, have, have you heard very much teaching at all on the power of words? Anybody? A few of you, a couple of you, okay? Some of you kind of giving me a little so-so. I, I can't see your hands out in, uh, in internet live streaming land. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> Of all the things that I have uh, taught over the years, uh, this one is this one subject is among the. Um, I said I received the most feedback. You know, it's all positive, good questions, comments, things that people said. You know, it's helping them, whatever. But it's this subject about the power of our words that I've received the most criticism over the years, and and people who've just looked at it like, man, there is no way. I can't believe you're saying all that. Do you really think all that? Blah, blah, blah. But see, 
somebody throw something. No, don't really do it. I don't know why I say blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But anyway, you, you, there's just, it's not worthy of saying all the things that people have said over the years. And listen to me now. That is, that is not uh, a coincidence. Okay? Because the devil never wants you to understand how much power and influence the words you speak have over your life reality. James takes it probably as far as any other place in the Scriptures when the Holy Spirit through James explains the words that you speak chart the course that your life follows. And if that's true, and it is, you cannot experience a change in your life reality without first, without first experiencing a change in what you're saying. Amen. Now, there are people who take biblical doctrines to an extreme and get into error, but that makes them wrong. That doesn't make the doctrine wrong. That doesn't make the Bible wrong. If, if someone acts a fool and calls it the Holy Spirit, that makes them wrong. But we should not throw out the work of the Holy Spirit and the manifestations and gifts of the Holy Spirit in, in the body of Christ, in the individual lives of the believer, just because some people have uh, you know, gone bonkers with it. Same is true with grace. Just because some people go sleep with whoever they want to sleep with and do whatever they want to do and live you know, like somebody that's never been born again with, without any uh, you know, consideration of what they're doing because we're under grace. That doesn't make what the Bible says about grace wrong because someone is uh, either unlearned or doesn't understand or doesn't care. And in that same vein, we, we can't take this Old Testament, New Testament, throughout the Word of God explanation of how powerful and influential the words that we speak are over our own lives. We can't set that aside because some people have taken it to an extreme and have gotten into error. Yes, no, maybe. Are you still with me? All right. So I, I really, and again, I almost... And maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a little too sensitive. Maybe I'm not being sensitive enough. But it's, it's like almost, you can almost feel the atmosphere in this room shift when I sh shifted over to this. It's like, are we really going to talk about this? Yes, we're going to talk about this. this. This is extremely important. Now watch this again. Faith without works is what? It's dead. Okay. So it's not the only work associated, action associated with faith. But... What you say out of your mouth is the initial action or work produced alongside with and expression of our faith, what we have believed in our hearts. Okay, So words are important. Amen? We're, I tell you what I'm going to do. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm gonna, I've got this way down in my notes. So I'm going to come back. I'm skipping over a lot of stuff. If you see me doing this, that's whole pages of stuff, all right? Um, We'll come back and fill in some of these blanks 
But let, let me just give you some idea, an overview. And there's 14 of these. Mm. 14. We'll go quick, okay? 14. Um, here's the list. Are you ready? Number one, the Bible says that death and life hinge on the words we speak. Death and life hinge on the words we speak. Blessing or cursing is chosen by the words we speak. Yes? Okay. Number three, salvation is received by the words we speak. Number four, we are justified or condemned by the words we speak. Number five, when we stand before God, we will give an account for every idle word we speak. Okay? Now, I've, on all of these, I want to do some teaching. We'll come back and teach on some of these. Let me just comment. I've had a lot of people over the years, what's an idle word? If, if, a, car's in, if a car's just sitting there idling, it's not going anywhere. And when we talk about an idle word, a lot of times idle words begin with, I'm just saying. It's words that, that we speak that we don't really have any motive or intent or purpose or, you know, whatever behind them. You know, I'm just saying. And I think one of the most important things we can take away from this, because Jesus in this whole section where he talks about this, giving account for every idle word we speak, the implication is if we're going to answer for idle words, how much more are we going to answer for words in first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth gear, and even reverse? Okay. All right. Number six, the course our life follows is determined by the words we speak. Number seven, thoughts are accepted or rejected by the words we speak. We touched on that a little bit last week. Let me come back to it while you're writing. Jesus said, take no anxious thought by saying. When Satan tries to bring deceptive, lying thoughts into your mind that do, not pass, that do not pass the Philippians 4 test. How do you come against them? Some would tell you, you just need to think about something differently. And certainly that is one tactic. But the most effective tactic when Satan brings and tries to plant an errant thought in your mind, you come against that thought by speaking the truth out of your mouth. Speaking the truth out of your mouth. That's how you effectively take a thought captive. Are you with me? You can't sit there and think about one thing and say another. When you engage the mechanism of your ability to speak, it snaps your mind into alignment with what you're saying. And because power is released, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, allow on earth, will be allowed in heaven. Power, authority is released when you speak. You take authority over 
the devil in that way. So that's what we're talking about here with number seven. Thoughts are accepted or rejected by the words we speak. Number eight, mountains are moved out of our way by the words we speak. Now, I believe Jesus literally meant a physical mountain can be moved into the ocean with the power of words. And you say, well, Pastor Mark, that, that just sounds kind of bizarre to me. Well, you're standing on a giant dirt clod traveling through space that was spoken to existence. Right? This, this world was created by the words of God. And everything in this created realm is subject to words. They, they, they originated with words. And they can be controlled and manipulated and changed by words. Did Jesus just hope the storm went away? What did he do to? What did he do to it? He spoke to it. He spoke to it. Did he not? He spoke to it. Did Jesus just hope that the devil would, would leave people along and, and, and maybe folks would come to church long enough for the devil to, to... No, He cast the devil out. He commanded Satan. Yeah, but He was Jesus, Pastor Mark. Yes, and He's our example. He's our example. Am I getting too heavy for you? So mountains are moved out of our way by the words we speak. I believe that, that, that is literal. So I'm not trying to water anything down or explain anything away. But if our words will move literal mountains, then we should be speaking to the obstacles. Anything that's in your way trying to impede your progress, delay your progress, prolong your progress, make your progress more difficult, right? We speak to it. Out of my way. Out of my way. All right, let's keep going here. Number, number nine, um, receiving from God involves the words that we speak. Temptations are overcome by the words we speak. Verse 11, we've already mentioned this one. What is bound in heaven is bound on the earth by the words we speak. Number 12, we'll go back over this list later. What is allowed in heaven is allowed on earth by the words we speak. Threats in our environment are altered by the words we speak. And number 14, this is not an exhaustive list. I'm just trying to give you some idea here. 14, the riches of our Father's kingdom become a reality in our lives by the words we speak. Words are important. Words matter. Words are recorded in heaven. Now, let's go to Proverbs 18.20. I'm going to just start working my way systematically through some different verses. Some of them will relate directly to those 14 things that I just gave you. But Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 and 21, it says this, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The imagery of the Hebrew words here deal with the turning of a hinge. 
So when it says in the, in the power of the tongue, it literally can, can swing towards death or it can swing the opposite direction towards life. But again, what turns the tide, if you will? What turns, James said, the rudder, right? Because a rudder can, can, can carry you north or it can carry you south, depending on which way the rudder is turned by the captain, by the governor, okay? So the words of your mouth determine either a course of life and increase and all that goes with life or death and all that goes with death. There's one word I want you to think of first when you hear the word death, and it's not a funeral, okay? It's the word separation. Death means more than this, but at the root of the meaning of death is the concept of separation. If someone dies spiritually, that is when their spirit is separated from God's spirit. That's spiritual death. That's what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. Their sins separated them from God. They were still biologically alive, but they were spiritually dead. Spiritual death is when your spirit and God's spirit are separated from one another. Physical death is when your spirit and your soul separate from your physical body. That's physical death. So at the root of our understanding of death should be this concept of separation. So when we say death is in the power of the tongue, you can literally say things that will separate you from the life that God has intended for you to live. doesn't necessarily mean... Now, you can say things that will end your life early. And now you say, Pastor Mark, you, you're getting crazy. No, no, that's, you, can, you can speak death over certain situations long enough, right? Over yourself long enough that, that it will come to pass in your life. I, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you. But, you know, so many times we look at these things in their extreme without ever considering the day-to-day -day impact and influence. You know, so let's just say, you know, again, agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Uh, to speak life would be to say what God says about your righteousness. To speak death would be to say what the devil says about these things. In other words, the opposite of these things. And what you're effectively doing is, is overriding and separating yourself from the life experience. It's, it's not changing the innermost being that was made righteous by the blood of Jesus. But what it is doing is it's, it's, it's separating you from it in, in your life experience. Remember the uh, many things about discipleship we covered early in, in these classes, but one of the key things we need to understand about discipleship is where the inward realities of the new birth become an outward expression of life. Where the person you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus is being progressively realized in your daily life experience. And discipleship is the process by which those inward realities become an outward expression of life. But at some point, we've got to start saying what God says about these inward realities. And if we insist on saying opposite to who He made us, if we insist on continuing to say over things over ourselves like, I can't do anything right. Why does the devil want you to say you can't do anything right? When God's made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing ever works out for me. The Bible says that all things work together for good to those who, are called of the Lord, who love the Lord and called according to His purpose. So these random things that people say that just seem so off the wall, my friend, there is strategy, strategy, strategy from the, from the powers of darkness behind these things, all the way down to how death 
has worked its way subtly into so much of what we say, joking, laughing, kidding, right? That pies to die for, my feet are killing me. Do I need to just keep going there? You, you know what I'm saying? Starving to death. Starving to death. Man, I'm starving to death. <laughs> See, the devil wants death in your mouth. He wants death coming out of your mouth. He wants you to speak death all the time. He said, well, I don't really mean it, so it's an idle word. Do you give account for it? Well, I didn't really mean I would die for that pie. I'm just saying it was a good pie. Well, then say it's a good pie. Bless whoever made that pie. Give them a compliment on it. Ask them for the recipe. But don't talk about dying for it. I mean, are you following what I'm saying? See, people, oh, you're just, see, this is why, you know, you get, I get a lot of pushback sometimes when I try to teach on these things because people are like, it's really not that big a deal, Pastor Mark, says you. But we're not talking about what people say. We're talking about what God has said. So think about it for a minute. Why does the devil want death in, in our mouths? You know, you, um, you know, somebody can, you telling jokes or making you laugh and you, you, or, or somebody can be annoying you, aggravating you, you say, what? Well, you're killing me. You're killing me. No, they're not killing you. Quit saying that. Quit saying that. See, I, I could go for a long time right here. I'm going to try to say a few other. How about this? You wake up and your throat's a little scratchy and you tell everybody that listen to you, I'm trying to catch a cold. I'm trying to come down with something. You see, you see, I'm trying, I'm trying. It's, it's, in other words, why are we saying that? You say, well, is it because I don't feel good? Well, why not, why not say I'm experiencing some symptoms? Why don't you agree with me? Why don't you agree with me that what the Bible says, that by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed? Oh, praise God. Let me get back focused here. So he's saying this part about, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You ever heard the expression eating crow? Eating crow is like when you say something and then whatever you said winds up being coming back on you and you, you have to deal with it yourself. And that's rooted in this. He's saying whatever you said yesterday is going to be on a plate for you to eat tomorrow. Now, let's, uh, let's go to this one. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. We've looked at this passage uh, at least two other times throughout the course of our time together, and we will more than likely come back to it again and maybe again after that. This verse is really unique because it illustrates the, uh, not only the possibility, but <laughs> the actuality of two different realities taking place in one person's existence at the same time. And what the Apostle Paul did in the first three chapters of Galatians is made a, a, a beautiful case by the Holy Spirit of who we are now because we've been born again and what's true about us now and that Jesus became a curse for us so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the non-biological descendants of Abraham and that we're Abraham's seed and if we are Abraham's seed because we're in Christ and have put on Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither male nor female there's, there's, there's neither slave nor free but we're all one in Christ Jesus and because we're all one all that's in Galatians 3 26 working our way to Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 where he comes to the conclusion that even if we are not Jewish 
by blood or DNA, that we are still heirs of Abraham and the same promise that was made to Abraham now belongs to us. And so he anticipating the confusion and the question that people would inevitably ask is, if all this is true about me, why am I still struggling with this area of my life? If all this is true about me, why do I still have this need in my life? If what you're saying is true about me, why does my life reality not reflect why does my life reality not reflect what you say is true about me already? And he says, now I say, anticipating that, that confusion and that question. Now I say that the heir, the heir means all that we just saw in Galatians chapter 1, 2, and 3 coming to this culmination. So the heir there, I mean, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. Come on now, can somebody say amen to that, right? Heir of God, joint heir with Jesus. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. The King James Version says, though he be Lord, lowercase l, of all. So here he's talking about someone who is in, in, in new birth reality, uh, uh, ruling and reigning in life, but their outward life experience looks more like that of a slave than the master and lord and ruler that God has made them to, to actually be. And why is that the case? Because as long as he is a child, as long as a born-again believer is still as a child, they're going to live more like a slave than the heir and child of God, the prince and princess of God, that we actually are, the ambassador, are you following what I'm saying, that we actually became, the righteousness that we actually became, the freedom that we actually became, the blessedness that we actually became, the wholeness that we actually became, the healed that we actually became, are you hearing me, through the new birth. So there's a disparity here. But it doesn't mean you're not righteous just because you're not experiencing righteousness in your life reality. Nor does it mean you're not free just because you're not yet experiencing freedom in your life reality. No more than it means this child is not an heir even though he's not experiencing uh, uh, sonship and, and all that goes along with that in his life reality. Because his life reality is looking a lot more like a slave. You still with me? Okay. So this leads us, I think, to a very important question. What does it mean to be a child? What does this word child mean? Now, you'll see why we've, we've covered this already, but now this brings us back to this point. By definition, by definition, not this is, I came up, I didn't come up with this. This is what the word means. You go in the original language. A child, by definition, is one who is ignorant. Number one, ignorant. Ignorant means you don't know, and if you don't know, you don't know. Amen. But how many, of you, how many of you know there's a cure for ignorance? Okay. <laughs> it's what we're doing right now, right? We're learning. Amen. I heard somebody say, you know, I, I, I skipped supper to come to this class. Well, amen. You know, the Bible says that the knowledge and the understanding and wisdom of God is not only more precious than a hamburger, it's more precious than gold and silver and rubies and precious jewels. Amen. I'm just shouting out a kudos to my sisters, right? They could come to class or they could eat supper, so they decided to come to class. You've chosen the part that can't be taken away from you. God said, my people are destroyed. God said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They're destroyed because they don't know. They're destroyed because they don't know. 
I'm not trying to throw you in any kind of fit of regret. Hopefully you've learned something in the last six months, right? That you wished you had known six years ago. But we know it now. Isaiah 5 and 13 says, The mighty men of God have an unquenchable thirst and a hunger that can't be satisfied for a lack of knowledge. They're in bondage for a lack of knowledge. They don't know. So a child is someone who's ignorant, who doesn't know. But thankfully, there's, there's a solution for ignorance. It's, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into, the, into, into all truth by the, by the Word of God. Then he says also by definition, a child is one who is immature. And immature, I like to think of it this way, is one who's not fully developed. But again, the ignorant can become learned and the immature can become mature. We can grow up. Paul said, remember this verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, what did he do? He, he, he spoke like a child because he understood like a child because he thought like a child. But when he became a man, put away the childish things. So thank God we can grow up. I've said this and I'm not trying to offend anybody. There's all kinds of, of uh, ideas and solutions and approaches and the, the technical terminology is modalities as far as, you know, how do we overcome addiction? Let me tell you, the, let me tell you the, the absolute best way that I have ever seen for people to overcome addiction is to outgrow it. It's to grow out of it. For you to grow to a point in your life to where the idea of, of going back is, is ridiculously laughable because your life is so full of so many good things right now that the person that even wanted that stuff, you can't even remember what that, what that man or woman looked like in the mirror. It's, it's growth, right? That's, that's the long-term lifetime answer to, to any kind of hiccup and hang up and... and and thing, and I'm not, again. I'm not trying to offend you. It, it's, let's just grow up and let's grow into these things. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yeah. All right. Praise God. And then the third one. By definition, a child is one who is number one ignorant, number two immature, and the third one is unable to speak on his or her own behalf. I, I, when I say I didn't write this, because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many years ago, and it's been many, many years ago, when I thought, well, you know, that word child's important. I think I know what that word child means. But I think I'll look it up anyway in a, in a Greek lexicon. And I looked it up, and I'm like, okay, ignorant, no-brainer. Immature, sure. I, I could have guessed that, okay. Unable to speak on his or own, her own, own behalf. So do you, do you see... When we talk about the importance of our words, that we, we cannot live as the heirs of God, as the righteousness of God, as the ambassadors of God, as the body of Christ that we've become, we, we cannot live up to and fulfill the new birth realities we've already become if we don't learn how to speak the way God created and intends for us to speak. Now, I think it's also interesting that these come in this order because I believe that they, that they uh, are, are, what's the right word? That we overcome them in this same order. Meaning what? Meaning the more we learn, the more, because maturity comes by doing. Are you following me? 
you don't mature just by hearing. You, you mature by doing, by putting things into practice, by, by listening to the Holy Spirit and fellowshipping with God. And when He begins to point out areas in your life of insecurity and, and childishness and you, you, you ask Him to forgive you and ask Him to help you and what do I need to do uh, different. And, and, and again, that's, that's how we overcome that. But again, our ability to do that is, is going is to depend upon our ability to learn and, and, and to overcome and what we don't know and, and understand new things and God's ways uh, of being and doing. And then we begin to put those things into practice in our lives, which is, is how we mature and develop. Um, <laughs> praise God. Oh, I think I'll just move on from that. But, but see, because what happens... <sighs> Sweet Jesus. Um... We talked about this a little bit on, on Sunday, and I don't I know some of you are here for that sermon, and so I'm not wanting to try to re-preach that here, but when we go back to 1 Corinthians 13, um, you don't become mature until you put away childish thinking, childish understanding, childish speaking. See, that verse in and of itself, I was a child, I spoke like a child, I understood like a child, I thought like a child can't become a man and still think, understand, and speak like a child. You will still live like a child if you're 50 years old as long as you think, understand, and speak like a child. Okay? So words are such a key factor in this. I think I've shared this already in here. I'll just mention it again. Um, I could almost figure out when the Lord showed me this because it wasn't long after that my son was just maybe two years old three years old and the um the uh, server at a restaurant looked at him and asked him directly for his order what do you want little buddy you know and man he just buried his face in his mother's side you know he was unable to speak on his own behalf he needed a mom or a daddy to order for him right well he's he's outgrown that now right he he can order for himself. You follow what I'm saying? But it, I just, it was right along that lines, right around that time when the Lord was really showing me what this word, the, the, the depth of meaning of this word. And then it was like it was played out for me in that it was out back on Lakeshore. Uh, the restaurant's not even there anymore, so I can almost show you the booth we were sitting in. Um, when it happened, it was such a poignant moment for me. But the Lord's like, that's what it looks like when you can't speak on your own behalf, Right? You realize the Bible says you have not because you. <laughs> well, to ask, you've got to speak, right? How about this one? Whoever asks, receives. Whoever knocks, it shall be open. Everyone who knocks, everyone who asks, everyone who seeks, finds, is open and, and receives. So, we're, again, we're talking about our ability to uh, speak up. Remember when we covered the Word of God and the Word of His power. Some of you were here for that, some of you were not. But we see where the Word of God is identified in Scripture as a sword, as seed, as a hammer, as fire. Um, did I say sword? What's the other one? See, I left one out. It's five. Fire, hammer, sword, seed. Okay, that's fine. Holy Spirit will bring it. Say it again. 
Anyway, praise God. But if the Word of God is a sword, how do you swing it? Speak. If it's a word sword, you've got to speak it. If it's a word hammer, how do you swing it? You see this? Eat it? Okay. So, but how, you follow what I'm saying? It's a hammer that breaks the rocks into pieces. So if, if the Word of God is a hammer that breaks the rocks into pieces, how do we start wailing away at the rocks that Satan has tried to put in our pathway? With the Word of God. But, but you, 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 you swing it by speaking. Amen. All right. So let's look at some things here. Psalm 119.11, he says, Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Matthew 12 and 34 says, what's in your heart in abundance is going to come out of your mouth. So we've got to put the word in our heart so that we may not sin against him. What, what's this relationship? Well, one is obviously we've got to know what the word of God says so that we don't violate it. But I think he's talking about something much more here. That when the word of God is in us, it's, we speak the word of God, you know, swing the sword of the spirit, but if we don't know what that is, there's nothing there for us to swing. And then we see just a couple of verses later in verse number 14. I'm sorry, Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my strength Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. All right, now, praise God. Uh, let's go to Romans 10, 5 through 10. Amen. While you're turning there, we see, and I'm skipping over this part, but you can look at it later if you're taking notes. Deuteronomy 30 and 19, it talks about, you know, heaven and earth being called as witness that he set before us life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. All right. You don't have to turn there. Let me put it on the screen. Deuteronomy 30 and 19. Heaven and earth witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Well, okay, you know, let me, let me give you a little help here. Okay, choose life. But death and life hinge on the power of the tongue. So, it's very easy for us to say, okay, man, I choose life, I choose blessing. But it's not just a one-time choice. We have the opportunity to choose life or choose death or choose blessing or choose cursing every time we open up our mouths to respond to a circumstance or a situation. Are we going to say what the Word says, what God says about our situation, or are we going to just simply... Repeat the questions that our problem keeps asking us. All right, so let's go, let's go to Romans 5 now. Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 10, 5 through 10. Amen. It says, uh, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Okay. So notice now, the righteousness of faith speaks. 
It says something. And we need to understand what righteousness by faith says. Why do we need to understand that? Because that's what we need to be saying. Let me keep reading here. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, with the mouth, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, if, and I heard Brother Keith Moore explain it this way, okay? If, um, if I was to go from... Uh, Birmingham, Alabama, to visit my son and daughter and Grace in, in uh, 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 Nashville. I think you guys are going Saturday to see them, aren't you? Okay. So um, I'll just use their example then. So they're going to go from here to there. Um, and so how are they going to do that? They're going to do that with an automobile. With the automobile, they're going from Birmingham to Nashville. Are you seeing this? Yes? Okay. A uh, week before last, when uh, Pam and I went to the minister's conference, we, di we didn't go by an automobile. We went by an aeroplane. Okay? We went by, by an airplane. We went from Birmingham to Dallas, Texas, and we, and, and we did it with an airplane. They're going from Birmingham to Nashville with an automobile. How do we go from lost to saved? With the mouth. With the mouth. How do, how, do, how do we get from point A to point B in, 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 in the spirit realm? You can't get there without your mouth. The mouth becomes the means. Is believing in the heart important? Yes, it is. But then what we believe in the heart, we have to confess with the mouth. Remember, Satan believes in God and he trembles. But he's not confessing Him as Lord. Am I losing you? Still with me? Now, let, let's go back up because he sets the stage here. And we could, man, we could preach sermon series on all this. I mean, it's, there's a lot here. But one of the things that we see in um, the book of Romans is this comparison between the old system of, of the, the, the law and works and performance and, and that being a means to be right before God in the eyes of God compared to the, the covenant that we now have, which is a, a grace-based covenant, a faith-based, right, it's, it's not what we do for God, but what God's done for us that, that we now have received. And, and so our righteousness is not based upon what we've done for God, but what He's done for us and the gift that He's given to us and who we became the day we were made a new creation in Christ Jesus. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so this is kind of a, a brief overview. We'll do some more teaching and explanation on that in the days ahead. But this is what the Bible means by the, the righteousness of faith, okay? In, in verse uh, Romans uh, 5, I'll put it back up on the screen here, in verse 6, this is the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Now, it's interesting to me because before he tells you what it says, he tells you what it doesn't say, okay? <laughs> what it doesn't say. Why, is, why do you think that's significant? It's because I think at least early in our understanding of these things, we have more issues with saying the wrong thing, right? We've got to get the wrong stuff out of our mouth so we can get the right stuff in there. 
And so he says, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Ascend means to go up, right? Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. And it doesn't say who will descend into the abyss. abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now think about, think about what he's saying here. Those who say we need to go to heaven and get Christ back down here. They're either saying that he never came. Or that what he did while he was here was not enough. How many of God's people keep sitting around waiting for Jesus to come do something in their life that he's already done for them? Keep waiting for him to give them what he's already given to them. Keep waiting for him to make them what he's already made them. See, that's ignorance. We don't know. We don't know. If we don't know, we don't know. But if we don't know... We're sitting around waiting on God, and we, you know, when God, when, when God, when, and God's like, what do you mean when? By my stripes you were healed. I was rich, but I came, became poor, so that through my poverty you might become rich. She's getting quite up in here, see. But, but see, when we, think, when we think as if Jesus has never come, or, or if we, Paul called it setting aside grace. He said, I will not set aside the grace of God. What does it mean to set aside the grace of God? It means to just keep plowing ahead like grace never happened, like grace was never given, like Jesus never did any of this for us. Ignorant of it. Acting like it didn't happen when it did. Acting like we don't have it when we do. Praise the name of the living God. So he's saying that faith doesn't talk like, the righteousness of faith doesn't talk this way. In other words, Righteousness by faith speaks in agreement with Jesus not only coming to this earth, but doing for us what He has done for us, giving to us what He has given to us, becoming who we became through His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back to the Father's right hand. Righteousness speaks in agreement with all that. The other side of this is uh, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So in other words, Jesus was here, He came, but He didn't raise from the dead. He's still dead. Now you think, well, okay, so we've got to believe that Jesus raised from the dead in order to be saved. He's certainly including that here, but He's talking about something on a broader sense here. Because the Bible says in Romans 6 that when Jesus was raised from the dead, we were raised up together with Him to newness of life. So righteousness of faith speaks, Right? Not as if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Not as if we weren't raised up together with Him. But the righteousness that we have now become because of faith, it talks like somebody who died and then was raised up to, uh, to, to newness of life as a new creation in Christ Jesus. You see, the old person you were, we'll get to this when we get to salvation, but let me just remind you now, the old person that you were was buried in an unmarked grave. The Bible says we, were, we died, but we were crucified with Christ. We, we died with Him. We were buried with Him. And we were raised up together with Him. And it was through that substitutionary work that Jesus effectively killed the old nature and the old person that you were and put His nature, a new nature, and a new spirit in you that then became one spirit with God's spirit. This, this is the reality of the righteousness of faith. See, when somebody says, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, that's not how the righteousness of faith speaks. Righteousness by faith doesn't say that. People say it. Preachers say it. Maybe even well-meaning ones say it. 
But when you say that, what you're, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're excluding, you're failing to consider, you're failing to factor in what His death, burial, His sinless life, virgin birth, sinless life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back to Father's right hand has actually produced inside of you. I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I am no longer a sinner. I have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And one who is righteous by faith doesn't speak like Jesus was never raised from the dead. One who's righteous by faith doesn't speak like Jesus has got to come down here and do something because what He did wasn't enough for me to make it victoriously back to my home in, at his right hand one day. When you start learning this, you just talk differently. Are you following what I'm saying? Some, some of the... Well, praise God. Let me just stay focused here. Amen. See, this goes back to one who's a child, Lord of all. Romans, Romans 5 says that those who have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will rule and reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. See, that's righteousness by faith. And those who have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness rule and reign in life. That's the heir. That's the master. That's the Lord of all. But as long as we're ignorant, immature, and una unable to speak on our own behalf, our life reality is going to look more like a slave than who we truly are, who we truly be, who, we, who we've become in our innermost being. Oh, please tell me you're understanding this. Uh, this is so, oh, this is so critically important. So the more we understand about these things, the more we begin to act on these things. See, now we begin to talk differently. We, we begin to understand and process things differently. Think about a, like, um, and it's not hard for me right now because I have a four-year-old and a, what, an 18-month-old, almost uh, two grandsons. But think about how a child processes information. How a child looks at the world. And, and listen, in a lot of ways, we, we need to go back to that. Jesus said you've got to become like a child to enter the kingdom, right? He's not talking about immaturity and childishness and selfishness. He's talking about a simplicity, right? There's a man who attends our church here. He's in his 90s. Um, He's very blessed. He's very wealthy, and, and he and he loves to uh, give people candy. And um, so Oliver, my grandson, he was, you know, telling uh, Pam Pam, my wife, his grandma, you know, who all he wanted to give Valentines to at the church, and he wanted to give Brother Ed, because Brother Ed's always giving him candy. So he wanted to give Brother Ed some candy. He says, you know, Pam Pam. We probably need to give him some money, too, <laughs> so he can buy some more candy to give to people, right? It's just a, child, it's just, it's just a beautiful, simple, you know, right? Amen, such a beautiful thing. 
such a simple way of, of looking at it. But so I don't want to discount that and talk out of both sides of my mouth, but you know, there is an immature though way of looking at things. Right? Have you had enough life experience to look back on some of the it's like, what was I thinking, right? Well, we weren't, you know, and we were thinking with the best ability that we had to think. There was a there was a time and my brother, my, my older brother, um, only heaven knows why, but he he just has this thing for Volkswagens. I don't how many has he got right now? I don't know. He just he just likes Volkswagens and when we were kids growing up, he liked Volkswagens. And of course, I like my brother wanted to impress him, Big Bubba, you know. And so, man, there was a time in my life that I just thought I had to have a Volkswagen. And of course, we got tall when we were 15. I mean, you know, we, me and him in a Volkswagen looks like we're wearing the thing. I mean, you know, what I'm, I'm talking about a beetle bug. I'm, you know, I'm talking about, and we're like just, you know. I tell him, I says, man, that, that Volkswagen there is a size 42. I mean, just put that thing on, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if somebody was to give me one right now, I would take it just so I could give it to him. But, I, but there was a time in my life that I wasn't sure I could live without one. But I don't think like that anymore. You follow what I'm saying? I'm, just, I, I'm trying to just show you simple, relatable things. You know, how we once looked at things and what we used to think we had to have and wouldn't be happy without and all that stuff. And now it's like, you, could, you couldn't give me ten of them. I, Obviously, the value of I don't mean that, but as far as something that I really want, because that's ch that changes as we grow and as we develop. So, in the same way, when I said earlier that that you know we can outgrow the things that used to pull us down and hold us back, it's in that same way. It's like I can't believe I ever wanted that to begin with, because our hearts now, the more we know about who who God is and how much He loves us and what He's done for us and what's available to us and what he has for us to do and the gifts that he's put in us and the abilities that we have to bless him by using those gifts and the joy that it brings to others and to ourselves and the way it glorifies him. And man, it's just, you get so focused on that mode of life and living that anything less than that seems laughable. So along with all that, see, comes away. Paul didn't just say, I put away childish thinking and childish understanding. You, if you put away immature and childish thinking and immature and childish understanding, you're not going to keep talking like someone because your, your words are going to be a reflection of your thoughts and your understanding. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's try to... Um, so let's do this. This one, this scripture here really ties in with this. Are y'all getting anything out of this tonight? Okay, sometimes I, there's so much here. There's so much here. I, if I'm not careful, I, you know, I, I kind of can go down these rabbit trails and, and ramble a little bit of, about these things. But I'm really, I really want you to, to get hold, hold of these things and this truth, okay? All right. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. All right? So when we talk about walking in Him, 
we're talking about at least two key things. Walking in Him is the fulfillment of Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, where we take His yoke upon us, which is discipleship, right? We do life alongside Jesus, and we learn from Him in real life, real time uh, experience. We, we just do in life with Jesus. We, we're walking with Him every day. Everything we encounter, experience, nice people, mean people, indifferent, whatever, you know, relation. Just every situation in life, we're inviting him into it. We're including him in those things. We're talking to him about everything. And he's teaching us and, and, and showing us and correcting us and instructing us in, in, in the way that we should go. And so we're walking in him, all right? Also, walking in Him means walking in the ongoing perpetual fulfillment in our life reality of all of the inward realities of the new birth. So, as we've already been through just a simplified list, the inward reality of the new birth is that you've been made righteous. The inward reality of the new birth is that you have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. The inward reality of the new birth is that you have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that you might know the things that have been freely given to you by God. In reality, the new birth is you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly I'm actually going on and on and on, right? So all these things that are in you right now, in your innermost being, becoming outward expressions, things that you actually experience and enjoy in your life reality. How, how do we go from them being inward only to those things things becoming outward expressions by walking in him walking in walking with living in doing life together with him so again it's the it's the learning and it's the progressive unveiling of our true identity our our what we've truly been given and it's such a beautiful thing so how then do we effectively do that he said you walk in him the same way you received him well how do we receive him we heard we believed and we confessed. It's just that simple. Faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? We believed in our heart when we heard the word. We acted on that word. And our first action was that we confessed with our mouth. To confess means to say the same as. So this is what he says, and I'm going to say the same thing he says. I'm going to confess what he says over me. So then let's go to you've been made righteous. You may still struggle with some areas of sin in your life. How does your outward life reality reflect the inward state of, of righteousness, being of righteousness that you've already become? How does that happen? You believe in your heart. You're hearing tonight about it, right? You've got to hear more about it. What does the Word say about it? You agree with God. You believe it. Amen. You think about it. You meditate on it. You let that produce emotions. Let me tell you something. There's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you sit there and let the devil have you dwelling on every rotten, sorry thing you did, and again, you're going to start feeling, you're going to start feeling condemned. You're going to start feeling condemnation. So we begin to say out of our mouths, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I've received an abundance of grace. I've received the gift of righteousness. I've been made just as right before God as Jesus himself because he gave me this position and this identity as a gift. It originated in him and with him. And he's not ashamed to call me his son or his, his I'm sorry, his, his brother, sister, without going into a long explanation of why sisters are still brothers as well. So now notice I'm saying this. This is how righteousness 
by faith speaks. This is what it says. To say anything opposite or less than this is to talk as if Jesus needs to come on down here and fix something that he didn't do enough of or he's still in the grave and we need him to come back because our salvation isn't complete. But we know that he came. We know that he, that he conquered. We know that he overcame as a man, sinless life, took our sin, went to death, hell, and the grave, returned victorious, gave that victory and authority to you and me, and then went and seated himself, poured, it, poured his blood out on the altar in heaven, sit down by his Father's right hand to do what? To be an advocate, a mediator, a representative for you and me on heaven, in, in heaven. And in the process, he asked God the Father to send the Holy Spirit to the earth to be an advocate, a mediator, a comforter for us here. You got so much going for you, you you don't even have any idea what all God's got on your favor, on your side, in your favor. Amen. Amen. And it is six forty-six. Praise God. So, as you've received Him, come on now. Can you receive Him without saying something? Can you walk in Him without saying something? No. You got to say it. You got to say it. How did God create the world? Spoke it, right? He spoke it. Say, I'm not sure about all this, Pastor Mark. Let me tell you where you need to start. Start by saying what God says about you. Amen. Start saying what God says about you. Agree with Him and agree with Him quickly. Amen? Father, you're good to us. Thank you for life and peace this evening. Thank you, Lord, for how you're opening our hearts and our minds and our understanding to these things. Father, we're, we're not afraid of your teachings, of your doctrines, Lord. We're not afraid of all the things that you've given to us and put in place, Lord. We, we don't have to look at this with a suspicious eye, Father. It's right here, established in your word. And we thank you, Father, for helping us incorporate these things into our life reality. Father, we're already speaking to stuff. We're already, uh, Lord, we'll, we'll speak negatively to things. We'll, we'll you know, curse objects, car breakdown, that sorry rotten car, you sorry. Lord, we, we already do it negatively. We just maybe don't realize it. So it should not be a strange thing to us to start speaking life instead of death, to start saying truth instead of facts, to start saying um, uh, right things instead of wrong things, Father. Blessing instead of cursing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're loved. Nobody's told you that. Thank you so much for being here. Um, praise God, I left the scripture on the overlay. You have a blessed one. I'll see some of you Sunday, some of you uh, next week. Amen.